hello one and all and welcome back to the airpod your favorite place for all the latest going on with the british royal family i'm of course your host omid scobie joined by the incomparable the magnificent my what beautiful <laughs> co-host maggie Rooney. how are you doing Oh, I love all of those. Well, thank you, Omid, right back at you. I'm wonderful. How are you, my friend? I'm pretty good, you know. I still am probably in the same clothes, the same room, <laughs> the same everything <laughs> exactly. from the last episode. I have a rotating wardrobe of about five uh, sweatsuits. <laughs> nice. Wow, you have sweatsuits, though. That sounds fancy. Well, no, I don't know what's, it's like the tracksuit A matching top and, and bottom, yeah. <laughs> it is so funny. I've never worn sweatpants so much in my life. And I just keep gravitating towards this one pair. And then when I have to wash them, I get really sad. Because I'm like, what am I supposed to wear? What am I going to wash? <laughs> That's like a big problem. <laughs> We've become weirdly attached to the most random things. Yeah, I'm like, but those are my cozy pair. <laughs> well, it has been a busy week on the royal calendar. Uh, despite very little actually happening outside of palace walls uh, we've yet to return to uh, in-person engagements but that doesn't mean there isn't a lot to discuss in fact we've seen selfie videos from the duchess of cambridge we had harry uh, claiming victory on a massive lawsuit against britain's uh, mail on sunday newspaper and we also had prince william speaking out against racism in british football or soccer to you guys um, we'll be looking into all of those stories a little later on in the show and it's also been just over two weeks since president biden was sworn into the white house and we have found his biggest fans over here in the uk <laughs> we'll be looking into the very special relationship that the royal family has always had with america's uh, current president um, and diving into some of the quirkiest stories from the past um, but before we get to all of that, Maggie, I thought it'd be a good way to start the show by just taking a moment to remember Sir Captain Tom Moore, who unfortunately passed away this week. The news was announced or confirmed by his family, who said that the NHS hero passed away from coronavirus. Of course, he is most famous for being the man that captured the hearts around the world for his valiant work raising almost $50 million for National Health Service charities here in the UK at the start of the pandemic. You'll all remember the footage of him uh, walking around his home many, many times with his Zimmer frame. Um, and he sort of became, I guess, a, a mascot of hope for not just people in the UK, but around the world who I think saw him smiling in the face of uh, what was a very scary time, especially in those early days when we knew very little about the pandemic. Yeah, Omid, what was so incredible, though, is to see that, you know, Tom Moore became just not only such an inspiration in the UK, but around the world. You know, he, uh, the news of his passing was leading broadcasts in America. And so think about that, right? This man in Britain uh, becomes sort of this inspiration and sensation around the world. And, you know, we put together a piece on him uh, for ABC. And what struck me was that I mean, yes, it is so sad that he passed away, but, you know, even more so just remembering his incredible life was so impactful and amazing, and especially this past year. When you think about what he did, um, all of the things he's accomplished, uh, we were kind of going through some of the memories, and one that struck, stuck out to me, if you remember even um, we were celebrating New Year's Eve here in the UK, and they did that drone light show, and they made the drones in the image of 
Captain Thomas Moore uh, in his walker. And immediately everyone knew who he was in the sky and everyone kind of had that same emotion, that same feeling of just like, ah, oh, hope, inspiration, right? And, and to have been able to do that in your life is really incredible. Um, and of course he really touched the hearts of members of the royal family as well. We saw everyone from mm. uh, the Queen to Prince Harry reach out to Captain Sir Tom uh, during that time that he was raising so much money for the NHS. Uh, more recently, we saw him knighted by the Queen uh, last mm. summer in a, quite a unique ceremony that, um, that everyone will remember. It was one of the few times we actually saw the Queen out in person, mm. but it was something that she wanted to do. Uh, and in fact, she was one of the first people, first public figures to reach out to the family to share a message of condolence. Buckingham Palace confirmed that she sent a private message to his family um, and said that her thoughts and those of the royal family were with them, recognising the inspiration he provided for the whole nation and across the entire world. Hmm. What, what I, I think is so amazing again is that, that, that image of the Queen with him too. I mean, there are two people that have just really lived such full, amazing lives. And to see them together, I mean, what I, could you imagine a lunch with the two of them? I mean, just incredible, the things that you could talk about. And, um, you know, even there was a, a tweet from UK's uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson that sort of referenced uh, Captain Tom Moore's storied life, how, you know, he was a World War II veteran and, and he was there for his country in a time when they needed him. And again, during this crisis, during the pandemic, they was, he was there for his country and for the world again. And, uh, you know, what really stuck with me too, Omid, was uh, he recently released an autobiography and um, one of his lines that he writes that I think is like the perfect way to just sum all of this up is he says, life is to be lived and I always believed that age is no barrier to living it. Wow. Well, a hundred years, an incredible life lived and we certainly here at the airport send our condolences to the family as well and salute him uh, to raising the spirits i think mm. of not just the nation but the entire world during what has been a very difficult time someone else that has been doing her bits to help raise spirits was the duchess of cambridge who highlighted the start of Ch children's mental health week this week with a selfie video something we haven't seen much from the royals we've kind of seen everything else over zoom that is possible. Kate took it to the outdoors in, I guess, the way she knows best. We've heard her talk a lot about the importance of spending time outside and uh, apparently filmed this little snippet after going for a run at her <laughs> animal hall estate, uh, hence the beanie and casual clothing. I was going to say the, the beanie was a new look. All of a sudden I was like, is that Kate? Is that... Is that Kate talking to me right now? It was sort of unexpected, but I loved it. I thought it was so welcoming and down to earth and just was a great, uh, a great way to see, to see her in her element. Mental health and children's well-being have really been two of the key issues in her work. And I think fans are really excited to see her delivering such a personal message. And we've seen, I think, a lot of that from Kate during this pandemic. She's kind of found her groove. She seems a lot more laid back a lot more casual perhaps in her delivery. Um, I think some of that is when you take away the formalities of a royal engagement and someone can speak uh, through their mobile phone or through their MacBook camera, uh, it makes things perhaps a little less daunting. And I think we've seen a more fun and playful side to her in recent months. Yeah, it's true. It, it definitely 
made things feel more casual. And, and like you say, if we've learned anything over the past few months, if not the year, it's uh, you know, welcome, being welcomed into someone's home gives you this new appreciation for them kind of as a human. And so it, we've been slowly breaking down barriers with Zoom calls and now to see a selfie video um, sort of felt like the evolution. Well, it was good news for Prince Harry this week when we saw him win or claim victory in a case against Britain's Mail Online and Mail on Sunday newspapers. Uh, he was falsely accused by the tabloids of turning his back on the British Armed Forces last year after stepping back from the royal family as a working member. The paper reported in October that he had snubbed the Royal Marines and not been in touch with anyone since his last appearance as an honorary marine in March. Now we have to remember that Prince Harry's honorary titles were taken away from him by the royal family when he stepped back from the firm, but Harry has, of course, maintained that contact with the military and veteran communities. We've seen him do a lot, uh, even virtually, over the past nine or ten months since stepping back. And uh, the paper admitted that this story was false, well, last week, a high court hearing heard that he was awarded not only the legal costs for taking on the mail, but also what his team say were substantial damages for the libelous claims. In fact, he, Harry has already announced that he's giving those uh, damages straight over to the Invictus Foundation. That's, of course, a military charity and organisation that he founded some years ago. Um, this, what I found so interesting about this was that his lawyer was given time to speak during the High Court hearing um, and it, they used it as an, a, a chance really to make a statement about the paper which they said used wording which significantly underplayed the serious of the accusations against him when it came to their apolo apology and they said that the paper did not expressly acknowledge that the allegations were false. This is of course referring to a one-sentence apology in the paper um, which was followed by a promise by the paper that they would donate to the Invictus Foundation. Of course, Invictus Foundation said they received nothing. So I think Harry was quite keen to finally put that money in their hands and move on from mm. this story. Well, what I find so interesting about this story is obviously it's a, a huge win for Harry, but uh, you know, does this set a precedent for the future? You know, Harry and, and Meghan have several lawsuits right now that are ongoing, and I know we're going to be hearing uh, more on Meghan's lawsuit next week. So I, I'm curious, is this sort of the trend that we're going to be seeing? Is this sort of a new precedent that's being set in British courts of law? I mean, it's obviously too early to tell just yet. Again, we won't know until next week, but definitely something to be interested in and pay attention to. Yeah, I think we've certainly seen a couple show, show no fear when it comes to taking on misinformation or false reporting. Uh, they really have nothing holding them back at this point. Now, at the same time, I would imagine that they don't want their lives to be filled up by a never-ending stream of lawsuits. We know that legal costs can get very expensive. In fact, I think the judge pointed out this week that the £35,000 that his legal team was saying that they were going to claim for legal compensation was far over what was acceptable and he was actually awarded two and a half thousand pounds in cost but that just shows how much these cases actually cost to get off the ground and this ran for a relatively short period of time so it's going to be about finding that balance but they're at least i think showing the world that they you know that, that they're taking this seriously and doing everything that they can to protect their own names, especially when it comes to something like this. You know, we have to remember back in the hearing or the first hearing, 
for this case, uh, it was Harry's lawyers that pointed out the severity of making a claim that someone like Harry had turned his back on the military community when it came to supporting them uh, for mental health issues and uh, injuries, both uh, physical and invisible, uh, because of course he has become somewhat of a hero in that community. And I think when you uh, then purport that that hero has turned away from these people, you're going to leave people in quite a vulnerable place. And that can come with all sorts of uh, quite serious consequences. So I think this was a really important one for him um, to really handle through the legal system. And it's also in a week where we've heard from sources close to Harry um, reaffirm his pledge or remind people of his pledge to always be committed to the military community. He will continue uh, that for as long as he is alive, I would imagine. Um, and there was unfortunate news this week that the Invictus Games that were taking place uh, this summer in The Hague have now been put back to spring 2022, of course, because of the pandemic and the inability to travel. And so I think Harry will probably be behind the scenes really looking at ways that he can uh, reach out and connect with those communities in safe ways over the months ahead. Yeah, it's hard to believe that when the Invictus Games was postponed last year, I don't think any of us really believed it would get postponed again. Hearing that, you know, that's just one example of so many things that are getting postponed or canceled again. But, uh, you know, we're, we're moving on. It's happy to see him talking about it, the games for uh, next year, at least. Exactly. Well, sports do continue elsewhere in the world. Football is still very much in play right now here in the UK. But one thing that's been taking uh, up a lot of the headlines is the serious issue of racism in the British soccer community. High profile players have been under attack on social media uh, by a number of racist trolls. And the authorities have most recently got involved. And this has seen Prince William, uh, who is the president of the Football Association, speak out against racism in football. Uh, in a very rare move, he actually took to Twitter himself to write up his own thoughts on the matter. Uh, it was a strongly worded tweet uh, where he said that racist abuse, whether on the pitch, in the stands or on social media, is despicable and it must stop now. Uh, he went on to say that we all have a responsibility to create an environment where such abuse is not tolerated and those who choose to spread hate and division are held accountable for their actions. I think it was great to hear from the Duke of Cambridge on this matter. Um, we haven't heard him really touch on the issue of racism before. So this is certainly a great start. Um, but Maggie, I can't bring this up without mentioning that it did come under a fair amount of criticism at the time because of course his very own sister-in-law um, was subject to a serious amount of racism for a number of years and we didn't hear much from the palace. Uh, so this is why I think we haven't really seen um, William's comments shared by many within the football community. Better late than never and I think that I would I would love to see more of this from the royal family, uh, not just uh, with uh, issues that relate to places that they're patron of or the charities that they support, but just in general. I think uh, often the royal family talk about reflecting uh, the issues or being, showing an understanding for the issues in modern day society, British society, um, but we don't hear much on this subject from many members of the royal family. Uh, that silence 
throughout Black Lives Matter last year was noted by many. So it would be great to see how we how things change moving forward. Um, and we will move forward into a break now, but afterwards we'll be looking into the very special relationship that the British royal family have with America's presidents. Stay tuned. Welcome back, everyone. Well, it's been over two weeks since President Biden's inauguration. His first 10 days were, I'd say, as smooth as any in modern presidential history. He signed more than 40 executive orders and uh, received a round of praise uh, across the world, um, particularly from those that support him in the US. But he has an unlikely group of fans over here in the UK, particularly over at the palace. Uh, he has already received letters from both the Queen and Prince Charles uh, showing great interest in the work that he's doing and also expressing keen interest to establish good relations moving forward. This of course is part of what we have always seen with the royal family and America's latest president. Um, but I wanted to take a look into just why this relationship is so important. Uh, Clarence House confirmed that Prince Charles uh, had actually written to Mr Biden not only to congratulate him but also to address his own fight against climate change. Of course this was just before uh, the new US president rejoined the Paris Climate Agreement which is the international treaty that aims to tackle environmental issues and Charles has shown great interest in working with President Biden moving forwards. Now, this has happened, Maggie, a lot quicker than we saw with uh, President Trump, who didn't really hear much or see any royals uh, until a couple of years into his first term. So why do we think that there is this keen interest so soon? And why is it actually so important? It's really fascinating, right? And it's funny because we sort of asked me this before the podcast, and I had to think about it because, on one hand, I mean, it's it's not important, right? I mean, <laughs> what does the the Queen and the royal family really have to do with U.S. politics? Nothing. I don't. I mean, there's no history. We have the history with obviously. Britain, but if anything, you would think that history would make us not want to have a relationship with the royal family. But I think there's still this legacy there, Omid. There's a strong legacy of uh, of what you know is historically called our special relationship between the two countries, and there is something really powerful about the royal family and this prestige that they carry, and the fact that as a sitting U.S. president, you get to meet the royal family and have a relationship with them. And uh, I think that even if potentially no political power comes from that. The power of knowing that you're a select few, the VIP few, right, that uh, the, Her Majesty graces you with her presence. Uh, there's a lot of power in that and a lot of intrigue as well. I think Americans are always intrigued and fascinated by the royal family, right? So uh, to be among the few that gets an up-close personal meeting with the queen, you can't pass that up. But, you know, I think also, Omid, my assumption was a little wrong. I sort of assumed that the royal family uh, didn't necessarily have political power. But, and I'm going to do the thing that all Americans are doing, I'm going to reference the crown because <laughs> it was when I was watching the crown recently that I realized, oh, like, all right, I get it. Even though the royal family technically isn't involved in politics anymore, they still have, have a lot of sway in the UK and, and then the world, right? So, you know, I think back to even when um, 
Queen hosted Jackie Kennedy that episode a couple seasons ago, or more recently uh, when Princess Margaret with Lyndon B. Johnson, that famous episode where they're dancing into the night and she wins him over, and all of a sudden U.S. and U.K. diplomacy is one. I mean, those are fascinating historical scenes, and so it kind of actually taught me something where, you know, while on one hand I think it is just the prestige, it's also... Um, there is political power there. The royal family still is this political might, even though technically they're not. You know, they still really are, and the U.S. has to have good relationships with the with the royal family. Mm, we always talk about that special relationship between the mm. U.K. and U.S. Um, even if it isn't necessarily vital, um, it is there. And I think it was Winston Churchill that first started that phrase. Um, this, the examples that you gave that have, of course, been highlighted and played out in the crown those are real classic examples of that soft power that the royal family do have i think being in that apolitical position they're able to bring people together in a way that others can't and in fact we'll see an example of that hopefully this summer um, when the queen will host biden alongside other world leaders ahead of the g7 summit in cornwall i think it was the sunday times that first reported that um, prince charles the duchess of cornwall the duke and duchess of cambridge will all be present at this event and that there are currently plans in place being drawn up by royal and government officials to cement yet again that special relationship between the UK and the US. Um, the paper also goes on to say that there's going to be a one-on-one -on -one meeting between the Queen and the President and that will be her first significant diplomatic engagement after she returns to London. Now I actually reached out to the White House to see if there's any further comment on this and uh, there was none, understandably. However, a source does tell ABC News that there have been talks uh, but nothing has yet to be confirmed. And I think it's also worth noting that the G7 summit may or could end up a virtual event depending on the current state of the pandemic. But this is very soon for President Biden to be brought in um, uh, in, in this way, especially to Buckingham Palace very formally. And I think it's, it's probably the start of what will probably be a very exciting relationship. You know, it has to be noted, and I've already pointed this out earlier on, but just it did take a while for Donald Trump and the First Lady or the former First Lady Melania Trump to have that visit with the royals. It was the summer of 2018. I think the royals have been almost forced in a way to take a step back from that relationship with the US president up until now. And so this is almost sort of making up for lost time. I don't think we can really forget some of the bumbling moments during uh, Donald Trump's first visit to England to meet the Queen. Uh, he was, I think, late to meet the Queen at Windsor Castle. He was uh, supposedly walked in front of her. He shook her hand instead of bowing. He turned his back to her several times on camera. So it wasn't perhaps the perfect example of how well these trips can go. Certainly, uh, if we compare it to other trips, including the state visits by the Obamas, which I think those pictures sort of live on rent-free in my mind for sure. Although I, I will say, you know, just in general, I, I don't think, uh, not to call out my fellow American brother and sisters, but there's sort of this whole other protocol that it comes with the royal family that is so outside of our knowledge that you, know, you would have to really be trained up to learn 
what's right and what's wrong to do in dealing with the royal family. Even when I took this job, I remember I was like, oh my God, I have to study what to call them because there's so many names. Everyone has like 17 names. I'm like, (laughs) what's the order of these names? Like there's just, you guys have so many rules over here. And even when the Obamas visited, wasn't there something with Michelle Obama and a car ride that she had asked for permission? Well, she famously put her arm around the queen. Yes. And uh, listen, you are more than familiar with (laughs) British tabloid commentary. That sort of set the papers on fire at that time because it was, in their eyes, the biggest breach of protocol. Of course, we weren't privy to the conversation that took place between the two. And in fact, in uh, Mrs. O's uh, book, in Becoming, her autobiography, she talks about the sort of tender moment that they shared at that time. Mm. And I think that there are times where protocol doesn't necessarily have to be sort of adhered to at the most strictest level. That said, I'd say that the time when Jimmy Carter once kissed the Queen Mother on the lips at Buckingham Palace, (laughs) I think it was at dinner in 1977, um, perhaps might go down as one of the bigger protocol breaches in history. Well, this is what I love, you know, so Omid and I kind of started doing a deep dive on presidential visits to get ready for this. And, uh, you know, we already mentioned sort of uh, Princess Margaret Fox trotting into the night with Lyndon Johnson. But one that Omid and I both loved, we're going to go back in time here, um, to FDR and Eleanor Roosevelt. This was in 1939 when they were having a picnic in the U.S. in Hudson Valley in New York uh, with King George VI and Queen Mother. And this is what threw the Queen Mother for a loop. They had hot dogs for the picnic. (laughs) And she's quoted as, as saying, how do you eat this? <laughs> which I absolutely love. And apparently, legend lives on that, you know, she was told how to eat it, which is like, you know, like with your hands and you put the dog in your mouth. <laughs> but um, she continued to eat it with a knife and fork. So, See, protocol you know, breaches go divides. two ways. They yeah. go both ways. Yeah, exactly. Ways. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. You know, when you come to America's turf, try to eat a hot dog. <laughs> I love that that's the, the sort of comparative protocol that we can come up with compared to what, what goes down at a state <laughs> visit at Buckingham Palace. It is funny though, I feel like in America, how you eat your food is like a big deal. Have you ever seen all of the uh, presidential candidates or, or, or you know uh, pol- uh, political candidates that go get pizza? And then it's always scrutinized how they eat their pizza. Like if they eat it with a knife and fork. It's oh, like, yes. Oh, yeah. I've that's always a found that fascinating. Yeah. How do you eat your pizza? This is a total tangent. It de- I think it depends where I am because oh. there are times where I will use a knife and fork. You knife and fork it? Wow. Everyone's no, going to judge you. If, <laughs> it's too, if, you're, if you're in Italy at a good restaurant yes. and it's like a small pizza, it's like. I don't know. There are just times where it's too thin to pick up. But I obviously will always prefer to pick it up with my hands. And I'll always fold it in half as well to give it some oh, rigidity. Folder. Okay. You know, when, yeah. when the end flops down, you don't want it to. So kind of... Yeah, yeah, fair, fair. All right, no, those are all valid points. But yeah, I'm, I'm also no stranger to a knife and fork. I think it's just a, a British, European thing. Sometimes <laughs> you, you just so got to do it. Over- <laughs> well, you and the Queen, Omid. <laughs> so I think it'll be really interesting to see how this plays out um, as the year goes on. Mm. Um, you know, I think what was what was really interesting, I think, going back to the letter that Prince Charles had sent to Mr. Biden to congratulate him, uh, not only to do that, but also to, I guess, 
bring up something they could collaboratively work on. You know, they would be a huge force for good, I think, when it comes to campaigning to governments and big businesses alike. You know, it was very recently we spoke about that Terra Carta uh, charter that Charles launched uh, that sort of aimed to persuade businesses to join the charter to help end climate change. And I could imagine that Charles would definitely benefit from the support of someone like President Biden. So it'd be very interesting to see how that plays out. Or, controversially, might I add, if the Sussexes beat them to it. Because, of course, mm. they might have their own relationship already going. We know that Whoa, Harry is very, very interesting. close with uh, the First Lady and the President at the moment. So we'll see. That's a really good, that's an interesting take. You know, at the end of the day, you hope they can all work together because it is for such a great cause and something that they all champion. So maybe the positive spin is this will be like a, a, a cross the country, cross the pond working relationship. Exactly. Watch this space. Yeah. Well, before we wrap up the show, uh, there was one other story I wanted to bring up, which I wasn't, to be honest, Maggie, I wasn't even sure if I should bring this up. So maybe we can file <laughs> this under, do we really need to know or do we even care? There was a huge hoo-ha in some of the British tabloids this week about a, a name change on baby Archie's, or I guess he's not a baby anymore, but Archie Mountbatten <laughs> Windsor's birth certificate. Uh, a story first reported by, uh, you guessed it, The Sun, claimed that uh, um, just a month after signing her name as Rachel Meghan, Her Royal Highness the Duchess of Sussex, on Archie's birth certificate, um, it was changed to remove Rachel Meghan from the certificate, leaving her just with her title, Her Royal Highness the Duchess of Sussex. It's a small difference. Mm. Don't even know how someone would have even gone to look that up. Um, but of course, it didn't take long before the couple were accused of uh, shunning the royal family once again, uh, breaching protocol. I think Meghan was even accused of trying to copy Princess Diana, who of course used her title on her birth certificate, but you know there is actually no protocol for this. Uh, the Duchess of Cambridge has her full names, Catherine Elizabeth, Her Royal Highness the Duchess of Cambridge, on her birth certificates for all three of her children. And so I guess really what then intrigued everyone was how did this change happen? And um, <laughs> the, it was the the Sussexes, who were very quick to try and put an end to this story, they said that the name on the name change on the public documents was actually dictated by the palace, um, and uh, that was and this was confirmed by documents from senior palace officials. They said that it was not requested by Meghan nor by Harry. Uh, they went on to say to see this UK tabloid and their carnival of so-called experts choose to deceptively whip this into a calculated family snub and suggest that she would oddly want to be nameless on her child's birth certificate or any legal document would be laughable were it not so offensive. Strong yeah. words. Yeah, they came back fighting. I mean, I do kind of agree with you. This, this whole story, you just went through all of it and you did a great job, Omen. But halfway <laughs> through, I was like, is it still going on? I don't know. Like, <laughs> it's just, it's, ri it's ridiculous. How is it and a I thing? Think yeah. What was so laugh about, laughable about the whole thing was, of course, after what you would think would put this story to rest, uh, Palace sources then uh, started briefing uh, some of the papers, and I had the same guidance myself mm. 
from the palace that it was actually a clerical error uh, behind this change and there's nothing more to it. In fact, that's exactly what the palisade said, nothing more to it, i.e. drop the story. <laughs> but they then reversed this comment uh, just a day later and said that the birth certificate was changed by Meghan and Harry's former office. They said it, this was to ensure consistency in the name and title of the Duchess of Sussex with her other private documents, referring to her passport and so on. I'm, I'm out of breath as I try and share this story because I don't really know where I'm going with it. Ultimately, the Sussexes stand by their original statement. I don't know why everyone got so worked up about this. She is still the mother on the birth certificate and that's really all that matters. And, you know, listen, I think the Sussex... Sussex's spokesperson said it best when they said there's a lot going in the world right now. Let's focus on that rather than creating clickbait. I think that's a perfect way to sum it up. <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> on that note, yeah. <laughs> we're out of here. <laughs> uh, well, I don't want to leave you, but um, I heard a rumor that Yoshi needs a walk. Yeah, the, the, the light is fading. It's almost the end of the day and it's been raining all day. So... Guys, look after yourselves and each other. Chat to us if you have any suggestions for the show or any questions for future episodes, or uh, if you have anything to add about the relationship between the UK and the US when it comes to the president and the royal family. I'm fascinated to know what you guys think of it. Is it important? Is it not important? Is it all for show? Let us know in the comments. Just use the hashtag TheAirPod. We'll look out for the best answers. Uh, until then, Stay safe. Maggie, you look after yourself too. I hope that yeast is taking care of itself in your kitchen. I'm, I'm baking this weekend. Don't you worry. It's a weekend thing. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll see you next Friday. Bye, everyone.